PFTPM Wednesday edition, one day away from the launch of week four, which has a fairly consequential game on Sunday night. Yesterday was a fairly consequential day for one miles. I don't know his middle initial or I drop it in there. J is always the safe bet. Simmons, who turned 30. So happy birthday to you, Miles J. Simmons. Oh, it's you know A. What's funny, it's Mike? A. Thank it's you. A yeah. Simmons because uh, it's because it's your Twitter handle. There you go. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. It shows how much attention you just paid to the tweet you just sent out, telling everybody yes. that I was gonna be on the show. Autofill. Right? Autofill. <laughs> uh, thank the, you. The beauty the of autofill. Yeah, yeah. Right. Happy birthday, birthday closer to death. There we go. I said it before. One you birthday could. closer to death. One Wednesday mm-hmm. closer to death, two days short of a Friday closer to death. But really, we hope you had a great day. It's been great Thank to have you. you as part of the family for about 15 months. Is that right? Is it, no. is it 12 months? Is it 15? How long is it? How long is it? It's, it's I've lost like track. 10. It's been like 10. Oh. It'll be a year at the okay. end of November. Close it just enough. feels like an eternity. Uh <laughs> But it's great. It's been great to have you. It just shows how quickly you fit in that it feels like you've been around forever. And uh, great to have you. Great to have you here today. And happy birthday and best wishes and all that crap. Let's get to the news. Before that, though, speaking of crap, Tom Curran is going to join us coming up in about <laughs> half hour or so. Jeez, We're going to try man. to budget some time for Tom Curran. I'm deliberately going to filibuster through the first 40 minutes of the program so we have no time whatsoever for Tom, and we'll have to bring him back maybe tomorrow or the next day. He's going to get bumped like Seinfeld from The Letterman Show or from Career Day, as the case may be. All right. Andy Dalton was kind of bumped to the bench. He's injured, and he's still the starter when healthy. Bears coach Matt Nagy reiterated that today, and he was vague about the status of Dalton, Justin Fields, Nick Foles, any of whom could be the starter come Sunday when the Bears host the Lions. As it turns out, there is an update. Dalton was limited in practice. Justin Mm. Fields fully participated. I don't know what injury he Mm. has. I assume he has something after getting sacked nine times. It's a hand, isn't it? I I can't remember. Uh, Mm. Upper body. But uh, Fields, Fields 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 full Dalton limited. So Fields on track to get the start and... None of it's going to matter if you don't take advantage of Fields' ability. That's really been the storyline. And it's amazing to me, Miles, how big of a deal that's been with all the great things that happened week three that are worth talking about. So many people have locked on to Matt Nagy not properly taking advantage of Justin Fields' skill set. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, I got a text in the middle of Sunday afternoon from a couple buddies in Cleveland that were like, man, why did Justin Fields look so bad? Was it about Justin Fields or was it about Matt Nagy not putting him in position to succeed? And now obviously we've got a billion things going on Sunday. So I waited until after I'd seen the game fully on Monday and I'm like, man, I think it's a bit of a combination of both, right? It just did not look like Justin Fields was fully prepared and fully equipped to be out there as the starter. But also if you look at what they asked him to do, It just didn't look like they were taking full advantage of what his skill set is. And frankly, though, I I think that the Browns and the way they played against that offensive line, I mean, they beat 
that OL like a drum every single play, basically all day long. And I think it would have been difficult for Tom Brady at the height of his powers or Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or any one of these great QBs you talk about to look very good behind that offensive line. But at the same time, it just didn't seem like they did enough for him to be comfortable in, in running that offense. And I think that that's really a stain for Matt Nagy when you have this kid who you know is eventually going to be your franchise quarterback. That's why you went and you got him the way that you did. You need to have a better plan, I think, for him for his first start, whether it was because of injury or not. Yeah, I mean, even if your broader plan is to keep him on the bench most of the year, all of the year, whatever, you still have to accept the fact that you potentially have to use him if Andy Dalton gets injured, so you better have a portion of the playbook ready to go for fields that takes advantage of what he can do. And if your offensive line is not going to hold up, all the more reason to take advantage of the ability that fields has to run away from pressure, to use his mobility to make guys miss. And again, Miles Garrett told me after the game, he had four and a half sacks, team record. They were surprised that fields wasn't moving more and how he was just straight drop back and they could pin the ears back and go get him. And that's what they did over and over again. Now, as it relates to what's in the playbook, that's one thing. What's used out of the playbook and when it's used is one of the art forms slash sciences of football, the play calling strategy, the things you do, the way you try to set up a defense so maybe you can nail them later with a big play over the top. You've softened them up. You do whatever. You're running the ball. You play action, draw play, all the different things you can do that that are part of that tapestry of plays and the way they're called one after another. Matt Nagy told reporters today, that he won't say whether or not he will keep calling plays, but he admits that the widespread and almost universal criticism of his play calling is fair. So at least he's got some degree of self-awareness, unlike, I don't know, Mike McCarthy. So that's good. But, <laughs> but now you've got to do something about the criticism. Now you've now you got you to self-reflect, and you've got to self-evaluate. And you better get yourself in gear or you're going to find yourself out of a job. Well, I mean, thank you, Matt Nagy, for telling us all and giving us all permission to criticize you and your play calling after you had net 47 total yards and one singular passing yard in that game on Sunday because of all those different sacks. Look, I mean, we can talk about all we want about the different plays that were called, but if unless you get something that I don't know, your, your offensive line is in better position to make sure that guys don't just come into the backfield within a second and a half, then it's not really going to matter who's calling the plays because they're not going to be effective. Everything starts up front. And I know offensive linemen like to say this. And as a high school offensive lineman, I love to say it too, but if you are getting guys in the backfield that quickly, then it's not really going to matter if it's Andy Dalton, Tom Brady, or Jesus in the backfield. They're all going to get sacked, man. So I just feel like there has to be some sort of different plan during the week rather than just saying what's the, the difference in the play calling on Sunday. I mean, because it can be Bill Lazor, it can be Matt Nagy, it can be whoever. But it's not going to matter if you don't have a better plan for your quarterback and the rest of the offense. Did you say even Jesus would get sacked? <laughs> I did say that, didn't I? I don't know where that came from. That was weird. <laughs> Man, you've changed now that you're 30. All right. I know. I've got no further comment. 
No further comment on that. I, I think Jesus would find a way to avoid the pressure. I think he would find a way. He'd turn All some right. water into wine with on. that probably, yeah. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I got, I got a devil on my left shoulder right now sticking a pitchfork into my neck, and I got an angel on the other side whacking me over the, the earlobe with a harp. The angel's winning for now. Thank you. Let's move along. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, the Bears need to do something better. Because, look, look, when they made the move for Justin Fields, giving up next year's first-round pick, I looked at that as an acknowledgement by the organization that Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, and Ted Phillips, who I think if Pace and Nagy go, it's time for Phillips, who's been there 20-plus years, and he's the guy who avoids any scrutiny, even though he's the one hiring the Phil Emery's and the Mark Tressman's of the world and others who haven't worked out in the past 20 years, he needs to go too if, if Pace and Nagy go. When you give up next year's first-round pick to get Justin Fields, it's the height of dysfunction. And I know our friend Big Cat says dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things, but it would be the height of dysfunction to fire Nagy and Pace after this year and put the new regime in a position where they're stuck with Justin Fields when they may not have wanted Justin Fields. This isn't like handing Peyton Manning to Tony Dungy. This is a guy that maybe some evaluators out there, some coaches out there, some executives out there just wouldn't want. And so the next order of business is getting what you can for a guy that you invested two first-round picks in. So I thought Nagy and Pace would have more time. I think they should have more time. But based on what we've seen the First three weeks, and I know they beat the Bengals somehow, but but if this thing doesn't turn around, I, I think all bets are off for the Chicago Bears. So we'll see how it plays out. It would help to beat the Lions, the woeful, hapless Lions, who are still good enough to rise up and beat you on Sunday. And, Miles, I checked the weather. I, I think this is important for the Bears. 89% chance of rain on Saturday Ooh. at Soldier Field. Here comes Jared Goff with his tiny little baby hands. I'm oh. kidding. They're giant, huge, massive, Trumpian hands. Here comes Jared Goff, and and uh, and it's going to be wet. And we saw what happened nine days ago at Lambeau Field. The minute it turned wet, the minute it turned a little sloppy, that's when Goff couldn't hold on to the football. So advantage Bears potentially. And the offense maybe just needs to tread water, literally or figuratively, and uh, the defense can take care of things. All right. Um, next topic. And – this is something that we've got four weeks and six days until the window closes on a potential Deshaun Watson trade. The Dolphins very much want him. They just haven't been willing to give the Texans what they want for him. Jay Glazer of Fox reported over the weekend that the Texans are starting to soften their stance. Don't know what that means by way of what they want. But now, today, Glazer tweeted, keep your eyes on this situation, specifically in reference to Deshaun Watson. And something that we talked about yesterday, because Jalen Hurts, you know, maybe the Eagles are trying to do like an accelerator thing to figure out exactly where he's going to be. I don't know. But if Jalen Hurts isn't the guy and the Eagles sense the Dolphins are going to speak now or forever hold their peace, the Eagles need to do the same. And they need to make their move if they're ever going to make a move for Deshaun Watson because he could be gone by March. If the Eagles decide to give Hurts a full season, it's going to be too late to pivot to Deshaun. So, 
Glazer's tweet, and I'm surprised he did it because what it does is it's it's like uh, the, the the bucketed chum into the shark infested waters, and all the reporters are going to chase it now to figure out what's going on. But it feels like something's coming, and uh, it's worth keeping an eye on it. If Glazer says keep an eye on it, I'm keeping an eye. I'm keeping both eyes on it. If he says keep an eye on it, Miles. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, when it's coming from Glazer, you you feel like there is something behind it, and, and it's interesting too because. You've got two teams with Miami and with Philadelphia that ostensibly have guys that they can continue to trot out there for the rest of the season in hopes that they can develop into the franchise QB. And I mean, Tua Tagovailoa in that way in Miami and then obviously Hurts, as we were just talking about with Philadelphia. So, and really, I mean, you don't know when Tua is going to be back, at least at this point with the ribs injury. I'm not sure what the latest update is out of Miami with that, but it just seems interesting that, You've got those two guys where you feel like maybe they can develop versus another guy who is ensconced in legal issues right now. But eventually you feel like, you know, he already is the franchise quarterback. And we know that he's probably never going to play another snap for Houston. Right. And they've basically got him on paid leave without putting him on paid leave. So you need to figure out if you're Houston, all right, is this the best time for me to do this? And if they're softening their stance, maybe that's what they're starting to feel like, that it actually is the best time for them to actually execute this trade. And if one team starts to get the sense that the other is interested, whether it's Philadelphia, it's Miami, it could be somewhere else that we just don't really know about right now, then yeah, these things are going to start heating up and maybe one of these teams does offer something to Houston that they feel comfortable accepting. And, you know, as time goes on, as each week passes and Deshaun Watson continues to get paid to not play, you don't know what kind of pointed questions Nick Casario, the GM of the team, is getting from the people who fund those salaries. I And, and I, I remember pointing out last Thursday and Friday if you're a Texans fan, how are you not completely dismayed? Regardless of how we got here, and I know that there are serious allegations that are pending against Deshaun Watson. He needs to have his reckoning. He needs to make some semblance of justice arise for the individuals who claim that, that they had their rights violated in some way. And it, it looked like at one point a settlement was in the works. Now you've got the criminal justice system that could work itself out by the end of this month. We don't know where that grand jury process stands. But the Texans may just be deciding, let's move on. And I, I I thought at one point, Miles, he could just get to the point where he goes to the Texans and says, I want to play football. I don't mm-hmm. think that's going to happen because he is more committed to not playing for them than he is to playing football at all. But it just feels like something's changed. If Glazer is out there sending this message that the Texans are softening, keep your eye on the situation, it tells me that – between now and November 2, the final day for all trades until March of next year, 4 p.m. Eastern is when that ends, something's going to happen. I feel like something's going to happen between now and then. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good way of putting it. And look, it's because these teams aren't sold on the quarterbacks that they already have. I mean, if you look at what was going on in Miami, it's not just us now that have been saying it doesn't look like Tua Tagovailoa is a franchise QB, or at least – that they made a mistake in taking Tua before Justin Herbert was off the board, right? I saw a column from the Sun Sentinel. Dave Hyde had written it today or yesterday, whenever the column came out, that it's, it's pretty clear that the Dolphins made a mistake. So all you Miami people, don't just come after me and Mike. You got to go after one of your own now. So I didn't want to say that. 
because it's not just us oh, the two uh, haters. The, 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 the Tua Mafia knows no limits. I, I, I tell you what, though, they got some competition. I, they got some competition. The, the Zach Wilson really? Mafia is pretty damn strong. The Zach Wilson really? Mafia is already no. stronger than the North Jersey mob. Yes, yes. <laughs> they're, uh, Are people really saying you. bad things about Zach Wilson? No, he's only had three games, man. And that team's a disaster. Well, it's not his fault. Well, no, but I think the idea is if you point out the fact that he had four interceptions, he got sacked a bunch of times, just don't That's- suggest j- just don't suggest that it means that he will be anything but the best quarterback of his generation because the struggles he's dealing with now mean nothing as it relates to the inevitable ascension of Zach Wilson to the top of the list of franchise quarterbacks. That's all I'm saying. That, oh, that's well, that's, that's where the Zach Wilson then. mafia okay. comes down. Um, yeah. uh, all right. Uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's move on. Richard Sherman back in the NFL. There's been a lot of talk about where he was going to land. Some teams interested. Some teams reportedly interested. The 49ers, I'm telling you, they didn't want the guy back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry oh. if anyone disagrees with me. I know he they didn't does. want him back. They were just They were being nice. They were being nice. They were being diplomatic. But they didn't Richard want him back. Richard Sherman said they, they expressed great interest in his great podcast interest. Not today. just a, yeah, great of course, interest. Of course, yeah. of course. And and where was the offer? They signed Buster Screen the moment that he made a beeline for Tampa Bay. They waited for him to go to Tampa Bay to sign Buster Screen. Like, oh, he's finally signed up with somebody else. We can go sign Buster Screen now. Here's Richard Sherman from earlier today talking about his new location and when we can expect to see him on the field. Could it be Sunday night against the Patriots? It's anybody's guess. I, I I need at least a week of practice. You know what I mean to 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 really hone things in to to play at the level I'm capable of. You know I think it'd be be foolish to expect me to come out this week and and you know I mean and play at a super high level. If 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 I did it, you know it'd be another thing to chalk up as a cool thing I did. But uh, but I think the expectation is for me to 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 train and and to get in shape and to give me opportunity for the following game. Yeah, so uh, so much for all the people who were breathlessly suggesting that he would walk right through the door, practice today, tomorrow, Friday, and play Sunday night in New England. He's going to need at least a week. The guy hasn't been practicing. He's not necessarily in football shape. I don't know how long it takes a guy to get in football shape when he jumps on board in late September. I think part of the problem, and it's not a problem, it's just the reality. He hasn't signed previously because he represents himself. He's wanted more than what teams have offered. I think he just got to the point where he decided to take the best offer he could get, and he and he went to Tampa. And uh, not a bad choice to go to Tampa. You may get another Super Bowl ring in Tampa. We'll see what he's got left in the tank. We'll see how he gets along with his teammates. We'll see if he's happy with his playing time. We'll see if he's happy with his performance. We'll see what he does in that defense. You know, he's been in a very specific defense his entire career. The Todd Bowles approach isn't the classic Seattle approach, and you got to use him the right way. We'll we'll see. I'm glad he's back. I'm glad he's getting a chance, and uh, we'll see what he does with the Buccaneers. That's all we can say at this point. Well, not only the things you mentioned, but we got to see if he stays healthy, right? Because two of the last three years that he's been playing, he just really hasn't been healthy for most of the season. He only played five games last year for the San Francisco 49ers on IR for a long time 
uh, with that calf strain. So he's also 33 years old. You know, he's getting up there in age. And he even talked about, like, you know, we got to see what these old legs can still do. But I did think it was interesting. You know, he puts out the video in the podcast and he's talking about himself in the third person and talks about how all these teams showed great interest in me. I mean, we mentioned San Francisco. And then he says, oh, well, the Carolina Panthers were also interested before they traded for C.J. Henderson, who they had seemed to really like. Um, in that draft process going in there last year. You know, we talked about uh, a couple other teams that had showed interest in him. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does. I mean, obviously talking about Tom Brady personally reaching out as well and all of that and what that entails. I I, I don't know. The the whole third person thing to me in that video, I don't know how much of it you watched, Mike, but I was just like, come on, man. When people start talking about themselves in the third person, it just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know. I'm sure Richard Sherman will be great, but come on, you got to do that. That's weird. So what you're telling me is Miles is getting upset. I'm, yes, yes. Miles A. Simmons uh, is getting very upset from Richard <laughs> Sherman talking about himself. Yeah, I, I've never been a big fan of the third person stuff either. I agree with you there. I just, I just, I'm just glad he's getting an opportunity, and yeah. we'll see what he does with it. We'll see what he has left in the tank. But I'm telling you, and Sims and I talked about this earlier today, and I don't want to beat around the bush. This is what I heard back in 2019, and I've heard nothing since then to refute it. If anything, what I've heard behind the scenes confirms it. After his first season with the 49ers going into 2019, if Jason Verrett stays healthy, which has never happened really, but if he had yeah. stayed healthy then, Sherman was getting cut before the start of the 2019 season. And it's amazing because what happened was they had a great defense. He had a great season, second team, all pro pro bowler started cashing all his incentives in and, and looked like a genius for the contract he negotiated. Well, he had to do all those things to get that money, but he was dangerously close to getting cut after one year with the 49ers. And then last year in his final year with the 49ers, it, it was clear that it wasn't going to continue. And this, this weird dance that had gone on from time to time with the 49ers possibly bringing him back, I knew it was never going to happen. It was never <laughs> going to happen. And I don't think it's a coincidence that on the same day he went to visit the Buccaneers and eventually signed a contract, that's when the 49ers signed cornerback Buster Screen. All right, here's Ben Roethlisberger talking about the struggles of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pit, uh, Mike Tomlin said yesterday it's too early to press the panic button. Let's hear what Ben has to say about where the team is, specifically where the offense is. Football is the ultimate team sport. Um, we can sit and look at the, the performances, and you know we're only as good as our last one. And you look at it, and uh, there were a couple plays, a couple plays here, a couple plays there, um, penalties, missed throws, missed catches, just whatever it may be that that kind of that that hurt us, you know. And I think the the penalties, obviously, you can talk about that. I and mean, we had some big plays that got called back that would have either sustained drives or got a drive going. Uh, that when you put yourself you know, behind the chains at first and 20 or second and whatever it is, it's, it's hard to overcome. And so I really just think it's, it's, there's not this one big glaring thing. It's just a little thing here, a little thing there, which I think is um, why we can be encouraged as a, as an offense that, um, you know, it's, it's not that far off. You know, it's funny when that soundbite started and there was a graphic at the bottom, I could have swore that the top of his shirt said pie, but uh, anyway, um, Ed Bouchette of The Athletic had a great item today talking about the final year of Y.A. Tittle and how Ben may be on that same track. And the iconic photo of Y.A. Tittle 
broken and battered and bloodied, was actually taken in Pittsburgh in September of 64 after only the second game of the season. Tittle came back for one year too many, went 2-10-2, and two, got benched late in the year, and was done. Had gone to the NFL title game the season before, came back for one more ride, and it fell apart early. And if they don't start blocking for Ben, it's going to fall apart, and he's going to be done, and he's going to go on into reserve, and he's never going to come back. They're going to have to turn it around, and the way to do it, rely on the defense, Basically make him a game manager and block like hell so he has a chance to set up and throw on those plays where they call for a pass. Just like you said as to the Bears, if Jesus was the quarterback of the Steelers, he wouldn't have time to set up and throw, not with the way that offensive line is performed. Well, no, and the other problem is you didn't draft Najee Harris in the first round for him to catch 14 passes and go for 100 yards receiving. You drafted him so that he would consistently get 100 yards rushing, so that takes pressure off Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, it's it's like Benjamin buttoning this thing, right? You want him to look more like he did as an old man, like he did when he was young. You know, when they were winning Super Bowls with really good defense and not necessarily relying on Ben Roethlisberger to throw them out of everything. He can't really do that anymore. And that's okay. He's an aging quarterback, right? This is why he took the pay cut so they could pay people around him. But if they're going to do things the way they're doing them right now, it's not going to work. Like I said, you didn't draft Najee Harris in the first round from the catch 14 passes. Got to get him running the ball, and they've got to be better than last in the league in rushing. Yeah, absolutely, and that's exactly where they are at about three yards and change per carry. They've got to commit to the run. That was an issue last year. It's even more of an issue this year. And who would have guessed with an 80% turnover on the offensive line, they would be struggling offensively. We'll see if they get any better. And, oh, it gets no easier this week. They go to Green Bay to take on the very hot Green Bay Packers. All right, let's take a break. When we return, our MVP watch for week four, and then coming up on the other side of that, Tom Curran, fresh from giving the business to Bill Belichick. He's going to give the business to us here. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. All right, MVP watch is one of the fun exercises of the season. People are looking for when to make the right bet on which potential candidate. We don't find out until the night before the Super Bowl who the MVP is, and frankly, by then, we don't care. We care far more about the pursuit than the actual award, and usually we know by the time the season ends. Usually we have a pretty good idea by the time the season ends who's going to get it a month or so later. So with that said, this week, Miles, and we have an item at PFT with the six or seven that I think are the real candidates for now with the odds from Points Bet Sportsbook, who's the one that you would put at the top of the list right now? I would put Matthew Stafford at the top of the list from, as you like to call them, my Los Angeles Rams. Look, I've I've watched in person both of those games that they've played at SoFi Stadium this year, and i got to tell you, it is really fun to watch that offense and how they can just get down the field in a couple plays or how they can take chunks and continue to make it down the field. And one the thing that I, really stands out to me about Matthew Stafford is the way that he can just erase third down and 10 in ways that Jared Goff, frankly, never really could when he was a Los Angeles Rams quarterback. I mean, you think about that play that they had at the beginning of the second half where it's third down and 10, and all of a sudden it's bombs away 
to Deshaun Jackson, and he ends up running up the tunnel, and Sean McVay ends up running up there after him. That's not something that that offense was really capable of doing for the last couple of years based on all the adjustments that defenses around the league made to that offense and made to Jared Goff. So I think right now the way that the Rams are playing, they look like the best team in football, and usually the best team in football, the best quarterback and the best team in football, that's the one that wins the MVP. So he looks like the MVP to me. And that's not a knock on Jared Goff. That's not a knock on his tiny little baby hands. That's only Jeez, praise Mike. of Matthew Stafford. We need to be clear about that I mean, because you dare not praise Matthew Stafford and implicitly diss Jared Goff. That's a no-no. We found that out call, the hard way. I didn't say that Jared Goff had the baby hands. I just want to make that very, very clear here. I, oh, that's you just said it now. Of this thing. You just said no, it. I, I said I didn't say that. And yeah. I like Jared Goff personally. He was good to me when, you know, I covered that team and all that. And so I just I want to make that very clear. Mike, stop. Why don't you want to be a part of it? <laughs> just put him on the full screen. Get me out of here. Who's okay. your MVP? Move on. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm still riding the Kyler Murray train now. He's at plus 800 right now, matched with Matthew Stafford. He dipped a little bit. He was 750 on the positive side. Now he's plus 800. Of course, that's eight to one odds. You got to bet 100 to win 800 on uh, on Kyler. It's going to come down to who's the top seed in the NFC. And right. I, I know this takes a little bit of the fun out of the process, but. Top seed AFC, top seed NFC, quarterback of those two teams, one of them is getting it unless Derrick Henry rushes for 2,200 yards. That's what's going to happen. And it's going to be a quarterback, and it's going to be the quarterback of the one seed in the NFC or the quarterback of the one seed in the AFC. And the Cardinals right now are 3-0. and And uh, we'll see if they can keep it going. Oh, by the way, it's Stafford and Murray this week. So next week... One of those two is going to still be at the top, and the other one is going to fade because the other one's in the driver's seat to be the one seed. But that's the key. Follow the one seed to find the MVP. Yeah, and the, here's why I would say Stafford over Kyler Murray right now. I, I think it's – I like what Kyler Murray's doing. I think he's playing great football. However, he's been turning the ball over every single game, right? He's thrown a pick – at least one pick in every single one of these three games. Matthew Stafford has done a really good job of taking care of the football. He has one pick, and he threw that last week against the Indianapolis Colts, and that was a play that was kind of dead. It got tipped. I can't quite remember off the top of my head exactly what happened, but I just feel like the way Stafford is managing the game, the way he's protecting the football, the way he's got that offense humming, I think the Rams are going to win this weekend, and Kyler Murray's going to be the one who's 3-1 and one at, on Monday. Well, uh, we'll see how it all plays out. I can't say I disagree with you because the Rams, in my mind, and we got to go and talk to Tom Curran, but in my mind, the Rams are going to be wire to wire the best team in the NFC unless and until they suffer an injury to a key player, and I'm not going to name names. And uh, if that happens, do they have the depth? Do they have the depth behind that key player to continue to perform at a high level? That's going to be the question. Let's take a break. Tom Curran will talk to us not about Jared Goff's tiny little baby hands but about Tom Brady and his return to New England when PFTPM continues. You spoke on WEDI today about Tom Brady looking at his options, and he decided Tampa was a better option. Why weren't the Patriots a better option for him when both Robert Kraft and Brady himself said over and over how much they wanted him to finish his career here? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to go back and rehash all that. We've talked about that. Really, my focus right now is on the. Yeah, my us. focus is on the game here, and look, I have so much respect and appreciation for Tom and everything he did here, and for me and for our team. And uh, you know, we're just getting ready to compete against Tampa this week, and we're going to keep our focus on that. But you've never you talk about rehashing dynamics that you've already gone through. You've never done that. Yeah, uh, we we made a statement when Tom left, and that that covered it. You surprised how well he's played? He's thrown sixty-one touchdown passes in twenty-three games down there. Uh, One Tom, Super Bowl. Yeah, Tom's a great player. Nothing surprises me that he does. Fair enough. You know, I've watched that video several times. That's the first time I noticed that it appears Bill Belichick is drinking from a can of soup. Hello, Tom Curran. <laughs> Welcome in. Well done, by the way. Well done. I say this with no I say this with no sarcasm or any degree of passive aggression. That's I thought rare. that was excellent. Holt hey Miles. Miles. But out. I, <laughs> well done. Well done Thank giving you. it to Bill Belichick. Because that whole it's already been addressed nonsense. He he plays that card all the time, even if it's never been addressed. That's his way of turning the page. It's already been addressed. No, it hasn't. You've never talked about it. I thought that was excellent. And the reason it's important, guys, to do it in this instance is, look, this isn't Peyton Manning going to Denver after a neck surgery and Ryan Grigson moving on from him. This is the greatest sports franchise in NFL history in many people's, at least dynastic, not franchise, but dynastic run. It came to an end. The head coach hasn't spoken about it. The player has gone on to be unbelievably productive elsewhere, win the Super Bowl. We can't just let him say, you know, I addressed it with a statement or, oh, we already talked about that. Or, oh, I'm looking at the game. This is football history, and nobody's more of a historian than Belichick. So for him to basically say, I'm not going to talk about it, is basically peeing on the intellectual curiosity of everybody who gives a damn about professional football and his team. So I knew he wasn't going to answer. I hoped he could because it's not a difficult question to answer. But that's why I blurted that out. I didn't really mean to. I was like, all right. Yeah. Well, and, and Tom, I mean, do you feel like there's regret on the part of the Patriots at this point, especially given the, how well he has played in the last year, year plus now? I don't think that there's necessarily regret over having let Tom Brady go. I think that the regret would stem from decisions made prior to Brady leaving. For instance, hmm. the Patriots – didn't provide Brady an option. Belichick primarily didn't provide Brady an appetizing option to stay. They didn't give him the two years guaranteed. They never gave him the extension. That's why the option that I was trying to pin Belichick down on was so insufficient. But the reason they didn't is because they had constructed their team in a certain way from really about 2015 on that was all in, all in, all in. And they did such a poor job in free agency and such a poor job drafting that they had to reboot had they done a better job in those areas, and yes, they were drafting late, but they had, had they done a better job in those areas, then maybe they wouldn't have had to move on from Tom Brady. Maybe he would have been part of a good team. But right now, this team had to be completely store-bought because it was run aground personnel-wise. Yeah, and look, it's not just a failure of drafting. I think it's a failure of development. That gets overlooked in this because it's not like they are drafting guys that people are saying, who the hell is that? I've got him in round seven, and they're taking him in round one. 
I think Bill Belichick has a degree of impatience with young players, and he'd sooner plug in a veteran who knows what Belichick wants than take his time to teach a player who just doesn't get it. I think that impatience we see from him in press conferences spills over onto the practice field, and maybe he doesn't take as much time with certain young players as he should. Is there any merit to that? Some, and I think he also has overestimated his coaching staff at times. You know, Matt Patricia was not a great defensive coordinator. In his last two games, he got riddled by the Jacksonville Jaguars and then by um, the Philadelphia Eagles. He gets hired, he goes to Detroit and proves that he's not really that capable. Well, now he's back and he's part of the franchise. Right now, we don't know who the defensive coordinator is, but we know with all the parts, whether it's Gerard Mayo or Bill or Steve, they're not playing real well. Dante Skarnacki is elsewhere. How much protection is there for Mac Jones? Look, there's been a lot of attrition on this team. But in the end, Bill makes the final decisions on personnel. And he makes the final decision on bringing in Antonio Brown or irritating Rob Gronkowski or grinding him down. And in the end, he has to be the one that's responsible for a a roster that had to be completely rebuilt and overhauled. Tom Brady's numbers and dead money last year was $13.5 million. They just spent a buck sixty in salary for this year, in guarantee, excuse me. So, I mean, he didn't have any kind of salary cap hold over them. It's That's why it's so disingenuous to pretend, that Tom just wanted to go to Tampa. We would have loved to have had him. No, you didn't. So is this week in Tom Brady coming back and all the pomp and circumstance that, you know, nationally we're making it out to be, is it a bit as big of a deal, you know, not as big of a deal or a bigger deal locally? Locally, it's a massive deal. But I think you'd be surprised uh, to learn that there is a Brady fatigue that's going on. And there will be not a small number of people who are in that stadium who will boo. I'm not saying it's going to be 30,000. I don't even know if it'll be 20. But I would say five to ten have probably had enough of Tom Brady. Look, it was great that he won the Super Bowl. They're happy for him. They understand Bill's a hard guy to work for. But the success of Brady coupled with his omnipresence and the fact that guys like you know his, his dad or Alex Guerrero are not shy about pointing out that Bill could be a dink, um, all of it has Patriots fans a little fatigued. So it's a huge deal, but people just want the game to get here. Well, there's nothing like the anonymity of a large crowd to empower people to boo, and it doesn't take much booing to drown out or at least be audible amid Mm -hmm. cheers. And that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And there's going to be several moments early, before the game, when he comes out of the tunnel, when he's on the field the first time, and also, Tom, when he sets the all-time passing yardage record. Do you know (laughs) if they're planning to stop the game for that and give him the ever-important laminated sheet of 8.5 by 11 paper from David (laughs) Baker? The the Drew Brees from Memorial stopped the game in Week 17 uh, ceremony? I don't know. I I really don't. And here's the interesting thing. I think that both Bill and Tom want to high-road the hell out of this. You know, Tom Brady was mad about his dad's comments. Mad at me, mad at his dad, and he let it be known. And he let How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? How do I know? How do I know? How do I know? He let me know. Did you get a, did you get a phone call? You got a phone call? Email. He emailed you? What did he say? What did he say? He thought it was, uh, well, I mean, you saw, you heard the, the comment he made to, to Jim Gray, the, the statement, tongue-in-cheek statement, but he, he didn't think that it was right for me to ask his dad to speak for him. So it was okay. Well, what did he have to say? Him. Okay. 
time out then. You know what's funny? He made the comment to Jim Gray about his dad. He hasn't said boo about what Alex Guerrero said, and I think what Alex Guerrero said is a hell of a lot more controversial because Guerrero knows how this guy feels about how how he was treated by Bill Belichick, and for Guerrero mm-hmm. to say that Bill Belichick never evolved and kept treating Tom Brady like he was 20 years old was he, when he was in his 40s, that's straight from Tom Brady, in my view. I don't think any of it, whether Tom Brady feels vindicated or whether he feels like Bill didn't evolve, I don't think any of it is a stretch to believe that Tom Brady feels that way. I think we would all be morons if we didn't think that Tom Brady, A, felt vindicated, or B, felt as if Bill didn't evolve. I mean, he's bristled at everything that Brady tried to do individually for TB12. Tom versus time is a recitation of Bill not evolving and Tom's difficulties with it. What rankled Tom Brady was that he felt the timing was poor. Now, I... I don't know what his Guerrero feelings were, but I spoke to Alex last week, went down to Tampa to interview him, and Alex was on pins and needles, didn't know whether to poop or go blind. We can't have anything out there. It's going to be a problem. All right, fine. So he didn't want it out there. He didn't want to add to it. So the point I'm trying to make, Mike, and you are riled up, I could tell. You want more on this, so we can do more. But the point I'm trying to make is they don't want this. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Bill and Tom hugging at some point pre-game or post-game, so that all of the dysfunction is pushed to the side. It it does seem like, I mean, because I was at Tom's press conference after the game in L.A. where they had just lost, and of course they asked him about it because you got to ask him about it. And like you said, it seemed like he really wanted to take that high road and just kind of said, well, we are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's been a tough loss and, you know, we've got to go and we've got to play better. I have to play better and all these different things. So, I mean, I I would assume that that's the approach that you feel like he's going to take for the rest of the week. No. Yeah. He doesn't want to add to it when it comes time to have all grievances fully aired with his name attached to them. I think he will pick that time. I think that time could come. I don't know if it definitely will, but I think it could come, but it's not going to come now. Mike, go ahead. You you were riled up on the Guerrero stuff. Come on. Well, no, I'm fine with that now. I've moved on. Because I also think that part of the psychology here, and we know with the Patriots, everything is a psychological battle. I believe that the Patriots regard Tom Brady as a player who is prone to maybe not being at his absolute best if he's feeling emotional. And I think that's going to cause the organization to do everything they can to be over-the-top kind and charitable and mm-hmm. emotional and the video tributes and it's a great read. everything calculated to get Tom <laughs> the cyborg to act like a human being. He's <laughs> just cutting onions at midfield. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's an <laughs> awesome read by you, Mike. And I hadn't thought of that. That is the upside. Soften him. Soften him. Make him, you know, put his sword away. Don't turn it into the red wedding on us. We love you. Um, that's that's a tremendous point. Well, how do you think Mac Jones is going to handle all that? Because oh, I mean, even though we're talking too. about, like you know, we're talking about the fact that Brady's going to be doing this and this and that. This is a football game that they got to play, and Mac Jones is the quarterback who effectively has replaced Brady. Yeah, that's a, an awesome question because when we look at it. So far, Mac Jones has been so far from the problem for a Patriots offense, which has had its travails. They have not been good through three games. They benefited, quite frankly, from the inefficiencies of Zach Wilson in week two. But Mac Jones has been in, under extreme duress, as you saw in that pick. And if they can't protect him, 
and Tampa does what Tampa does, does, does. Well, if they are Tampa Bay, it's going to be 10 nothing pretty quick if the Patriots play at the level they have been. And then you're going to put Mac Jones in a situation where he's dropping back 30, 40, 50 times. And he can't have that. He doesn't have the protection right now to withstand that. And he's going to get blasted around. So if this game gets out of control, I don't think that the fans will be uh, as much after Mac as they would be after Bill. But there's potential for it to be an ugly night. And we could say, oh, well, he played in Alabama. That's pretty big stakes there. It's not Sunday night football. It's not the greatest coach of all time and the greatest quarterback of all time who's staring across. Look, if Brady wasn't a big fan of Jimmy Garoppolo being there, and he was a fan of the guy, he just wasn't a fan of the fact of Jimmy Garoppolo. How do you think he's going to look across the field, the baby-faced Mac trying to do the job that everybody's saying that he's the next Brady? Not, Not so good. Boy, and that is going to be the strangest moment for Tom Brady because Sam Darnold told me that after week one when the Jets went to Carolina and Darnold in his first game after only three years with the Jets had to look across the sideline during the national anthem. Brady, after 20 years, standing Mm. on the sideline at that stadium, on the wrong sideline, in the wrong locker room, looking in the wrong direction at the flag, just everything that goes along with it. You know, Tony Dungy made the point over the weekend that when he went back to Tampa the first time as coach of the Colts. He said all week, it's just another game. It's no big deal. No change. No difference. And then he got there and he realized, oh my gosh, this is very, very different. I just wonder if Tom's going to be able to process that and what kind of of meditation, mm-hmm. sports psychology, whatever he's doing this week to get his mind in a spot where he doesn't fall victim to the human reaction that any normal human being would have. I think that really on beginning on Friday, it would probably be a good idea if he started pulling the old, I mean, <clears throat> you probably remember this, Mike, because you're an avid reader. Remember what Brian Cox used to say, how he envisioned his opponents? Um, if And I'll send you the story later if you want to. It's a Sports Illustrated story from way back. But if Brady does the same thing, I wouldn't be surprised. He has to compartmentalize every emotion that you mentioned any nostalgia, anything like that. And he has to look at the Patriots as the enemy, maybe not sworn enemy and try and bring back, oh, he hosed me and made me move my business and my family and everything else. And I wanted to stay here or, oh, Robert Kraft never stepped in and saved it. But he has to hone his, his emotions to a point where there is no flagging and there is no impact on his focus. So I think it's a great observation by you. That why not try and butter him up? It's like just stop the game. Train. Think about that. Just stop the game. Yeah. Bring out a podium, a big float, and everything else. And Tom's like, I just want to play. No, no, no. You just broke the record. We're so proud of you. Yeah. All those yards that you got here, man, they barely are any from Tampa Bay. We love you. Right. We love you. Right. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that that's going to, you know, not be a big deal, at least in some aspect or other. Well, what about Gronk? I mean, we're all talking about Brady and everything that comes with Brady, but like Gronk is coming back too. Is there any emotional impact that you think that that will have um, from any standpoint? Well, Gronk, Belichick, Belichick. And when we talk about irritation over departures, we can talk about Belichick maybe having any second thoughts about moving on from, from Brady. And I don't think he does. He, he's just too much of a pragmatist and says, look, this is the situation. This is what it was. This is what we did. I'm not going to go back to 2017 or 18, but with Gronk, <laughs> just a genius move by him to get what he wanted. I mean, he retired, but he had a year left on his contract. 
He waited until the Patriots, if he came out of retirement, would have their cap blown up by his salary. Belichick goes, we're not going to trade you. We're not going to trade you to Tampa. We'll trade you wherever we want. Okay, then I won't report. Okay, well, then you're not going to play for anybody. But I'll come out of retirement and blow up your cap. So they finally just had to say, okay, fine. That made Belichick incensed. That was an irritation. So I don't think there's nearly as much tenderness towards 87. Tom, I know you watch PFT Live every morning, so you already heard me say this earlier today. One of my strategies for how to get Tom off his game is to just have at the right moment into his field of vision enter John Yastrzemski and Jim McNally. That would be beyond genius if they could set that up. The the deflators, yes, De, yeah, no, have Dorito show, the deflator. Um, that's right. Have them have them show up. I, I know that would, won't happen, but, but that would definitely would never, that would definitely cause would, a reaction. It would, but they would never ever ever do anything at the Patriots' yeah. behest. If Tom told yeah. them to jump, they'd both say how high. But the Patriots expunged them. Their bitterness toward the Patriots, or at least one of their bitternesses, is, uh, is extreme. But that's the long play. That's the genius that's of it. That's the long play. It's it was all genius. a setup from six years yep. ago. By you the way, by the way. With a Belichick hood on, and when he presents him that eight and a half by 11, it's, it's Dorito dink. We, we've, got to, we've got to go to break. I will say Why? this, though. On behalf of all the monitors into which the peacock is now permanently embedded because of your neon sign on your one shot, thank you very much. Everyone's going to be heading to Walmart or Best Buy tonight to buy new TVs. We'll see you next time, Tom. Thanks. All right, buddy. Take care. Bye, Miles. All right, there he is. Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston. we got to take a break. We'll be back to answer the best of your questions out of the PFTPM mailbag when PFTPM continues right after this. All right, only time for a couple of questions after that great segment with Tom Curran, and thanks again to him. A Red Zone Alk, our good friend Tom Marshall, asks, will Bill Belichick eventually to- follow Tom Brady and seek out a new team? Let me... Let me take this one first, Miles, because it bubbled up a couple of years ago when the Giants' job was open. There was talk about dissatisfaction and whatnot. Here's the problem. Bill Belichick has everything the way he wants it in New England. If he would go to a new team, it would take him five years to get it to where he has it in New England. So at this age, at this point, he's not going to have a five-year plan somewhere else just to get all the infrastructure that he already has. He's not going to do it. So I say no. He would leave and get out of the sport altogether before he'd go be a coach with another team. Yeah, the, the only franchise that I could maybe perhaps see it happening with is the one you just mentioned, the Giants, and that's because he has a history there. But other than that, like you just said, I mean, why would you leave somewhere where you've been able to do everything that you wanted for as long as you've been able to do it. And they think of you as the king because you won six Super Bowls there. I don't think that there's any reason to go anywhere else when you really could just go on a boat somewhere and, you know, drink Mai Tais for the rest of your life. Some think he'll become an executive VP of football operations, maybe with a small piece of equity for a team and be the overseer. But you know what? Look at how it went for Bill Parcells. Look at how Mm -hmm. it went for Tom Coughlin. It doesn't work when a coach still has any inclination to coach because you can't separate the two. All right, last question real quickly. Scuba Faust, will the Giants go 0-17? The schedule looks absolutely brutal. I don't see a win for them. I, I, it's not like they're getting blown out. They're close every week. Unless they give up, they're going to get their wins at some point. They're not going to go winless just because they haven't won a game yet, Miles. 
Oh yeah, look, the NFC East is one of those divisions where I just feel like any team can beat any team at any time. So the Giants, I don't think are very good, but I don't think that that means they're gonna go winless. And frankly, it's hard. It was hard enough to go 0-16. It's probably even harder to go 0-17. You've now added another game in there. So I know they're playing the AFC West and that's a tough division, but at some point, they're going to get a win in there just based on the law of averages. I'd never predict a team to go winless. Although, looking at that schedule, I see Scuba Faust's point. They're going to be possibly 0-9 at the bye and then 0-10 yeah. after they play the Bucks. But But I think they could rise up and win any of those games. We've right. seen that before. You can't write them off. They've been competitive. They will get their wins. 0-17. Of all the teams that are winless... I think the Giants are the least likely to go 0 and 17. I don't think anybody will. That's it for today. Miles, again, happy birthday. A day late. We'll see all of you a day from now. Have a great evening.